we're talking about the firmament. Welcome back to the podcast with us here. Yeah. Um, what do you want me to call you? We don't have a a secret name. Just AC. I think AC would be fine. AC. I okay. can live with that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I might accidentally say Stacy sometimes, but I hope you're <laughs> that's okay with okay. that. We'll just go with Stacy. <laughs> uh, <Just>. So, <laughs> Stacy, we're here uh, yeah. back on the podcast here, getting things rolling. You know a lot more about this than I do. You were educating me the other night when we thought up the, this podcast idea, and uh, right. you're talking about the firmament. Do you want to explain? Like, we know we hear what the firmament is in the scriptures. And we just kind of assume, like I always assumed it was the firm ground, like it was the earth, right? Rising up right. out of the ocean to, you know, make the world. Uh, explain so, what the firmament okay. is. So I guess like I'll open up my quad to Genesis 1 and I'll just, because we've got to read the whole thing to see why it gets confusing, right? Is that, so it's in Genesis 1 and it starts in 6, uh, verse 6. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. And then in verse 9, he talks about let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. So we kind of conflate the two things because the land and the firmament are made in close proximity mm -hmm. to each other. It's just like, cause you get confused. You're like, Oh, this firmament separates the waters from the waters. And then there's waters above them, but then he calls it the heaven and then he makes the land. And then you like ask your seminary teacher and you're like, what's the firmament? He's like, I don't know. I think it's just the land. Right. You're like, but he called it heaven. He's like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. It, it's God's trying to explain a complex subject to Moses and Moses is just making the best with what he can. And I think he's talking about the land. So let's just go with the land. Right. Right. Lost in translation kind of explanations. And I, yeah. I mean, if you read it, like when you were reading it just now, I was like, oh yeah, like it's very clear. This is the heaven. Yeah. Like it's the sky that he's talking about, but it, like, but because we know, oh, there's not like an ocean in the sky, right? There's not just like water up there, not in the same way that there is in the ocean. And so in our heads, we just kind of put put the earth in that position instead of, you know, actually reading it, how it's saying it. Right. So the firmament is the heaven, but it's not like heaven where God lives. It's the heavens as in the sky. Right. So one word that this, the root, some people translate this to mean expanse. And if you go to the Institute manual on the Old Testament, it'll say the expanse or the heavens or the skies. And you're like, okay, so he's just talking about the skies. But what it skips over and trips over is the firmament dividing the waters from the waters. And there's waters under the firmament and there's waters above the firmament. And the expanse doesn't really account for this water bubble that should be around the earth. Right. So the firmament is this dome. Right. That the stars and the moon and the sun are embedded into. And the firmament surrounds our disc-shaped world. <laughs> so is, is this like something that, like, <laughs> that they believed 
way way back when that the earth was a disc and that it was just yes. a dome? Yeah, and then around the disc-shaped earth was a bunch of water, mm -hmm. like the oceans and stuff, and there were sea monsters on the edge of this. Right. And when God formed the world, and you can find this in Psalms and Job, like references to this, God comes down and kills all the sea monsters. Hmm. And then, because the, the world was form and was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, is what it says in verse 2, the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. So we have this idea of just this formless ball of water that's full of sea monsters before God has created anything. And God comes down and he slays the sea monsters. <laughs> and then he makes this dome that separates the water in the ocean from the water that is in the sky. So there's this water bubble that surrounds our disc-shaped earth. Right. It's like a snowball based on biblical cosmology. So whoever's writing this down believes in a disc-shaped world that is surrounded by a dome. And over this dome is a layer of water. And then above that layer of water is God on his throne in heaven. Not the heavens, but God is in heaven. Right, and right. he's above the water. And then there's this dome. And then there's a disc-shaped world. And then there is water under the disc-shaped world. And the world stands on the pillars of the earth. Right. You hear that phrase? And then you, there's there's references, I think, in the Book of Mormon. He talks about the earth being rolled together as a scroll. You can believe in the earth being rolled together as a scroll when you believe the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense. So you hear these things in the scriptures, and you're like, it doesn't really, or the four corners of the earth. You can have four corners of the earth when the earth is this flat square right. standing on pillars surrounded by a metal dome right right so you kind of so have there's to, all these you have to take and put yourself in the in the mind of the people of the time writing it yeah right exactly but we run into problems or the lds church runs into problems and other fundamentalist churches run into problems because there's enough scholarship on what the firmament is and and old testament cosmology what that is. And when you're trying to cling to a literal interpretation of something that is wrong and widely acknowledged to be wrong, you have to play a lot of different, like it's mental gymnastics to the extreme. So people talk about mental gymnastics with church history, the mental gymnastics for all fundamentalist churches on the firmament and the creation of the world are next level. Yeah. Because there were Christian scientists who actually said, okay, what if there was a bubble of water that was around the earth? Okay. The round earth. Mm -hmm. And then during the flood, it, it all, all got released. Down. Yeah. What would that do to the earth's temperature? And they realized that that couldn't happen because the greenhouse effect of the water bubble around the earth would have increase the temperature of the earth to be too high for, for anything to exist. Right. So then somebody comes up with this other idea. They're like, well, the bubble of water, the water is between us and God. So wherever God is, there was this bubble of water between the earth's position in the universe and God's position in the universe. And this bubble of water was just existing somewhere around the galaxy. And then God channeled it through his power to the earth like a laser beam 
to flood the earth. I, it's like one of those things where you try to fix one plot hole and then you open up five others because Other of your because of your bad explanation with, with yeah. something, right? It's like, oh, well, okay, yeah, if the temperature's off, then then we'll just we'll just move the water over here. Okay, but now you have to like do all of this extra stuff to to make and it just, work. Just like listen to the things that you're saying to make it work. Yeah. It's like t you're going into tinfoil hat territory when it's easier to just say, do you know what? This was not literal. Yeah, yeah. And well, we can see that this is not literal. Right? And, then, and, then you, and then you end up adopting a non-literal stance for more and more things, right? There, there are people now who adopt a non-literal stance of the Book of Mormon and just say it's good it's a it's a good book and you know it's just a revelation it's not like a fact it's not a real you know historical document it's just it's just a good book it's all figurative well do you, as, as i was making my transition out of the church and i'm clicking and trying to find any reason to stay one thing that I, i'm i'm learning these things about genesis i'm learning about the firmament i'm learning about the the gospels and that's a, a topic for another episode um but i'm realizing that this is all myth and it's all myth woven within contemporary myths of the time mm -hmm. kind of thing so the jews are creating their mythology and their religion but they have tie-ins to the babylonian religion right in genesis as they're building their story and they're remixing things and i'm realizing i'm one way i try to put it together is Okay, so Joseph Smith made up the Book of Mormon, pulling from sources of his time. But really, that's what everybody who's ever done is, who's ever written scripture has done it that way. Mm -hmm. So Joseph Smith is just really following the order of all other prophets who've ever written scripture. Yeah, he might be stretching a little bit more because I think there's a little bit more fan fiction <laughs> in there. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> a yeah. lot of other things. But yeah, it's the same yeah. thing. It's the same story again and again. Right, like you, you tell a story. Somebody else tells a story. Somebody else. It's a game of telephone, and yeah, like think of all the stories that that you hear as a kid growing up. Think of Santa Claus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you you know Santa Claus isn't real, but you you've told the story a million times. You've heard the story a million times. You're gonna repeat it, and and the story over time changes. Right. He didn't always yeah wear the suit. He didn't always live at the North Pole. You can always yeah. write him letters right? It's just this progression of stories. Yeah. Well, there, you know, and maybe when we get to December, we can talk about the evolution of Christmas from pagan mythologies because mm -hmm. the, the modern Santa's built off the images of Odin. Right. And Odin used to fly around, but he had goats pull his sleigh and yeah. Odin would give gifts, gifts to the Germanic pagans at, at the winter solstice. Yeah. And we've lifted anyway. We That's should fun. keep we should keep Odin in Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Put the Odin back in Christmas. Go go back to uh, the true meaning, <laughs> the true meaning of Christmas. Christmas. I always love it when I hear that. I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious what your like growing up. What you were told about the about the young Earth, about the firmament and the creation story and stuff. Were you taught it pretty literally? Yeah, science just hasn't caught up to god's revelation yet that right pretty much it i think like i'd say my dad wasn't too interested mm -hmm. in that 
and my dad's testimony's never been rooted a lot in literalism. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad wouldn't, if you talk to my dad, he wouldn't really talking about whether or not something is literal or mythical doesn't the whole discussion doesn't interest my dad so it's not like my dad has a non-literal belief right it's just that the whole debate is kind of meaningless to him and it's more like what does he get out of the story right and the the whether or not it's real is kind of his mind doesn't play in that place hmm. um but my mom on the other hand she'd kind of get more into apologetics with me and like, well, you know what? The the Lord's revelations are true and the science of man just hasn't caught up to it yet. And one day they'll discover something that'll vindicate everything we've ever said, right? Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I know like it's always a moving goalpost for the church. Yeah. It's been yeah. like when it first started, it was super literal. Because everybody, everybody accepted the young earth. That was the thing in yeah. you know, yeah. in New England at the time. And then now, as time has gone on, you have the 1920s, I think, when the church said, oh, leave the, leave the science to the scientists and just let us save souls. And they kind of tried moving away from that a little bit. And then you have a little bit of anti-evolution, but now it's being taught at church schools, you know, by some professors. And yeah. it just kind of, it's, it's just all a mess. Officially, the church doesn't have a stance on, on that stuff. Well, the I church has an official. They, they have they, an official stance on some things. They well, but they on like some scientific things like evolution and stuff. They don't take an official stance because they. It's kind of an avoidance to avoid having to come out and say like, "Oh yeah, we were wrong. We were just saying random stuff." Uh, but also to avoid saying, you know, keep uh, singing the same song, saying that, oh, no, no, yeah, it's it's true, it's true. Science just hasn't caught up with us yet. And, uh, they, yeah. Sorry, I've got it. There's one of the buried sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. Sorry, I was trying to Google it, and then my, that's why I kept getting those. Did you have all those sounds of me? No. Like those error sounds? Oh, you didn't? Okay, great. Sorry, sidebar there. So Doctrine and Covenants section 76 – or not 76, there's one where God does a Q&A and Joseph Smith is asking God about what certain symbols mean mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And um, here, let me find it. Because the, they actually baked into the Doctrine and Covenants, the young earth. The church actually can't side. Oh, Doctrine and Covenants 77. The church actually cannot sidestep their belief in the young earth without disavowing the Doctrine and Covenants. Well, so Doctrine and Covenants it's, 77. It's, it's not literal. It's not literal. It's just, it's just a metaphor, Stacy. Come on. No, no, no. Wait, <laughs> let me get this for you. So God, for some reason, does a Q&A. And if you look this up, Doctrine and Covenants section 77, you'll read verse 1, Q, dot. What is the sea of glass spoken of by John and blah, 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 blah. A, dot. It is the earth and it's sanctified, blah, 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 blah. It is written in a Q&A format. Like, this is God's fact, right? <laughs> this is God's FAQ. And and this is what Joseph Smith asks him about, is about animals and stuff like that. But then he gets into the, what are we to understand by the book which John saw, which was sealed on the back with seven seals? 
We are to understand that it contains the revealed will, mysteries, and the works of God, the hidden things of his economy concerning this earth during the 7,000 years of its continuance or its temporal existence. That does not mean anything else other than what he said. It doesn't, and it can't. Because what God is doing a Q&A. He's running heaven and running earth and micromanaging angels and, and coming up with bureaucratic rules. And he carves out time for an FAQ with Joseph Smith to tell Joseph Smith 7,000 years of its temporal existence. There's no mythological understanding. He's not talking about 7,000 years according to God. He's talking about 7,000 years according to man based on its temporal existence. So it is baked into the scriptures. The church cannot sidestep its belief. If you believe in the doctrine and covenants, you have to believe in a young earth. Dang. It is there. Dang. So, okay. <laughs> it doesn't mean any... There is no apologetics on this. I feel, I feel on like this. I'm trying to be an apologist for the church here. Just no, because... go for it. It's good. No, go for it. It's good. It's good. Just because I, I grew up, like, m my family never subscribed to the, the young earth thing i think maybe yeah. when my parents were younger they might have but yeah growing up that was never never a thought like and yeah. and if it was my mom's pretty good at us you know coming and saying oh here's the scientific evidence mom and then she'll be like oh oh okay so she was pretty good about that <laughs> she wasn't huge into apologetics and stuff but i i i'm curious what the apologetics would be for this you know well let's uh let's see if fair's got anything go fair sorry i didn't plan on bringing up doctrine and covenant section 77 but you kind of opened the door no yeah no it's 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 fine i just it's it's stuff like this that makes me look at it and say like it's so obvious you know like the, if you if you want to believe in a god and a higher power you know some some energy in the universe or something be my guess but like the mormon religion is like so obviously not true. So here's here's what I've got from Fair Mormon written by somebody called John S. Lewis. Considering that Doctrine and Covenants section 77 verse 6 refers to this earth during the 7,000 years of its continuance or its temporal existence, what led Phelps to speak of earth as being 2.5 million years old or 2.5 billion years old, sorry. The antiquity of earth was a subject of active debate in the 19th century. Some adherents of a conservative interpretation of scripture ignored or sought to explain away the overwhelming evidence from geology. The more liberal scientific interpretations of geological history suggest an age of 100,000 to millions of years for earth. <clears throat> Almost alone, W.W. Phelps, Joseph Smith's book of Abraham's scribe offered a vastly larger per perspective in the times and seasons. The eternity agreeable to the records found in the catacombs of Egypt has been going on in this system almost 2,500 millions of years. And to know that deist geologists and others are trying to prove that matter must have existed hundreds of thousands of years. It almost tempts the flesh to fly to God or muster faith like Enoch to be translated and see and know as we are seen and known. Considering that Doctrine and Covenants 77 verse 6 refers to this earth during its 7,000 years of continuance, what led Phelps to speak of the 2.5 billion years? The answer appears to be straightforward. Those 7,000 years, earth years, is in conflict with all physical, chemical, genetic, 
archaeological evidence, 7,000 years of God is not ruled out. The arithmetic is easy. One day of God is a thousand, blah, 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 blah. So, so their apologetics is just, oh, it's by God's time, not ours. But, the, and you know what, I've gotten into this with other people, is sometimes the scriptures will specifically say something, and they will say, well, it, he doesn't rule out this thing. So because he didn't rule it out specifically, then it is still possible. But God makes the effort to say the temporal existence. And God is taking the time to specifically, in Q&A format, answer these things for Joseph Smith. Why would he leave any ambiguity in what he means when he's taking the time from all the bureaucratic things he has to deal with, like how old people should be when they date and, and how many earrings should people wear <laughs> and, and what kind of music teenagers should listen to or not listen to. Right. And whether and or not black people were fence are. sitters, where your car keys are. He's got a lot of things and a lot of useless things he has to deal with. And he's carved out time to discuss this with Joseph Smith. Why would he not take the time to be clear about what he means when he says 7,000 years of temporal existence? Right. He is being clear because he's saying 7,000 years of its temporal existence. He's not saying based on my perspective. He's saying based on the temporal perspective. Right. 7,000 years. It has exist temporally. So are you saying That's, the church isn't true? No, absolutely not. I'm saying that if you accept the doctrine and covenants, you have to accept a young earth. And there's no sidestepping it. Okay. Well, because that is what he means when he says, because why wouldn't he, it, he, he could have said 7,000 years of its celestial existence. I could have gone with, okay, he's, or it's heavenly existence or it's, I could, okay, maybe he's God's referencing the 7,000 years of his time, whatever. Right, right, right. But he went out of his way to say temporal existence. And we're talking about temporal time, which is time as we understand it, because we're in the temporal earth well, and then I think That's even, it. even if you tried to say, oh, well, since Adam and Eve, yeah, but we have records of civilizations that go past 7,000 years ago. Right, but that's just the science catching up with God's revealed word. Right, right, yeah. So I think uh, really sucks for Joseph Smith that, um, that, you know, science got so good <laughs> after his time. Could you imagine if you tried to do something like that now? Well, like, like that's why this section is buried in the Doctrine and Covenants and you've never heard of it. And I right. barely remember it. Right. Is this is not something that they highlight in the manual. Right. Yeah. Because how would you... Now I'm just trying to think of how I would start my own cult. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> like with, with a story, I don't know, the whole thing. It's just preposterous. Like... But do you know, like, it's it's not preposterous when you're in it, right? Right, right. Yeah, when I was there, I, I would go to school and I, you know, true blue <laughs> through and through, right? Yeah. I was really proud of it. And I was proud to be, you know, different and a peculiar people and to be weird, right? And it was it was this great pride thing. And now I'm <laughs> now I'm socially stunted. <laughs> and trying to figure out how do yeah. I be a normal human being, right? Because yeah. like I can't. When when I was Mormon, it was a oh hi, you know, oh yeah, I'm Mormon. That and then they, you know, people would kind of brush it off and be like, oh well, that's why they're like that, right? That was like the explanation. Yeah. And now I have to go out there and 
you know, try and just be a normal human being while dealing with all of the all of the extra that comes from it, like all the baggage that I have behind me. Right. But yeah, like you said, when you're in it, you think, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Like, of course, of course. it's One other thing I think is that let's say you did. Maybe I did read this in Young Men's and somebody does say, wait, temporal existence. So the earth is literally 7000 years old that doesn't make any sense. And the leader is trying to, well, you know what? The science of man hasn't caught up with the revealed word of God. And you've got to recognize how you felt when you read the book of Mormon. Well, as you're coming to terms with the fact that this is, this is like a, this is a proof positive that the church is not true. You immediately reject it because this, the cost of, of what that means is too high right? Yeah. Your mind can't comprehend when you're a teenager dependent on your parents, any kind of rebellion is already, it's kind of labeled. It's not, you're not taken seriously when you're a rebellious teenager and say you don't have a testimony. Yeah. It's like, yeah, neither did I when I was a teenager, but then you'll I went get on my there. mission. You'll figure it you'll out. Get there, Just go right? on your mission and you'll find it. Yeah. So yeah. nobody, nobody's taking it seriously. Right. So it's just, you're in this position where nobody's going to believe me if I really voice up, speak my mind about this. And I can't conceptualize my life without the church right now because it is all I've ever known socially. And my parents' approval depends on it. And there's so much at stake that I can't throw it away for this, right? Mm -hmm. I think is what happens. But when you're in it, it just seems, even if you do start to question it, you can't question it too far because the cost is too high. Yeah. When I when I left, I had a friend tell me, oh, I wish you would have talked about your doubts. I'm like, with who? <laughs> you know, like, what, what would I say sitting there in Sunday school being like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. this doesn't add up what, what they're saying here. And just raise my hand and be a yeah. dissenting voice. And there they said, yeah, yeah, you should you should have spoken up. I'm like, yeah, and then be become like a leper, like be cast out, just like yeah, that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great idea. I tried in my last few months in the church. I was really, really struggling because the church becomes like a, a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It is this long relationship that you've had, and it is seriously heartbreaking because it means so much to you. So I, it's like I'm going through a breakup, and people are asking me to share my opinion in church, and I'm just like. I don't know what else to do. So I just say, I don't think this talk was very good. I don't think it really has much merit. And I think there's a problem that we don't question the merit. We just take it at face value that there's something we have to learn from it without asking ourselves, is there anything really to learn here? But I was a little bit more frustrated when I, like I didn't say it that calmly. I was a little more flustered when I said it, but I did try voicing some doubts. But the thing that I couldn't get from anybody was just somebody acknowledging, do you know what? You found something that's not in the manuals. You found something that people aren't going to talk about a lot, but you're not going crazy. That's the actual truth. Not everybody's ready for it, so we don't talk about it a lot. But mm-hmm. no, you're not crazy. Just kind of, yeah, you've broken through the ceiling. You've seen what's actually there and and just go your way in peace. Yeah. But nobody could just say like, it was, it was, no, Andrew, you're going crazy. You're misunderstanding it. Cling to the feelings you've had in the church. 
And it's like, but I am going insane. Yeah. Yeah. There, and nobody can tell me that I'm not going crazy, right? But you got to doubt your doubts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's such bad so, advice <laughs> for oh, anything. Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. I think, yeah, when I, when I was there and I started, because I had decided years before leaving that it wasn't true, you know, that it was yeah. just all made up. And I decided to go along with it because of social reasons, right? And then when I started coming out of it, I decided even when I didn't believe, I would watch all of general conference. I'd watch all of it. And then my last general conference in there, or last couple, I didn't watch any of it. And I had somebody ask me, oh, are you going to watch general conference? And I said, no, I already got everything out of it. I know exactly what they're going to say. Love your neighbor. Be nice. Read the Book of Mormon. Pray. Doubt your doubts. You know, I'm like, it's the same thing every single time. And... I'm like, I don't need a movie marathon of propaganda every six months in my life. Yeah. And do you know? Yeah. Oh, sir. Keep going. Keep going. No, no. I was was just saying like, I, I, I don't need that because I think when, when you remove that, when you remove that auto indoctrination, right, you're indoctrinating Mm -hmm. yourself by putting it on when you remove yeah. that and then you start to wake up a little bit, you start to just be properly human and properly present. There were one thing that I found bizarre and you, I guess you could call this a shelf item was Jordan Peterson got very, very popular, like 2015, 2016. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was still in the church then like fully believing. But one thing that was so weird to me was how much, LDS men and especially single LDS men were just clinging to every word of Jordan Peterson. Yeah. But what was even weirder was Jordan Peterson was saying a lot of things that Dallin H. Oaks has said and a lot of things that um, Todd Christofferson has said, just kind of instilling an idea of classical masculinity, taking ownership for your life, getting married, finding a purpose, those kinds of things. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what makes Jordan Peterson so different from Dallin Oaks and Todd Christofferson? Why are Mormon men listening to Jordan Peterson? Why are they listening to his message, which is very, very similar to the message you'd hear in priesthood session? Mm-hmm. Well, Jordan Peterson will take the time to explain his thought process and his research process And all the things he's gone through to come to these conclusions and all the kind of real life implications and and using very specific examples. And he's an engaging person when he talks about it, whereas Dallin Oaks and Todd Christofferson cling to this. They don't need to explain themselves because they are the ultimate authority. So I just need to tell you what to do. I don't need to tell you why or why this is interesting or why this is valuable. It's valuable because I said it. Yeah, that's why it's valuable. And that was kind of like a wake up thing to me where I was like, like no general conference speaker. The reason why general conference talks are terrible is because no speaker has ever gone into conference with the idea that they need to persuade their audience to accept anything. That conclusion is already foregone. So I can get up and say whatever kind of tripe I can spew and everybody has to eat it up. I have an adoring fan base with no effort on my own part. Yeah, yeah to be interesting or persuasive. And then you get Jeff Holland, who is the only modestly interesting speaker 
and he's not that good. And it's, and he's only but convincing he's the, because it's it's heartfelt because you like because yes. he tells a story and he makes you feel something, right? Yeah, he's very he goes for an emotional appeal very yeah. often, and uh, so he's slightly engaging. But you could listen to TED talks. You could just find other university professors. You could find all these people who are a lot more engaging than Jeff Holland. But Jeff Holland, everybody goes psycho and makes memes for him because it's like they've just been they've had this dearth. Yeah, this absence of interesting speakers, and he's the only guy who's like doesn't take it a hundred percent for granted that people are just listening to him because he's Jeff Holland. Dieter Uchtdorf's a little bit similar in that, where he's a little bit more engaging, but still at the same time, like these guys all spew. Just well, I don't want to say like it's just yeah they're not like and, and there's no real explanation on why you should do anything, and there's no real engagement on anything. It's do this thing that I say because I'm the authority figure. Well, and then and then at the end, of course, there's you know pray about it, pray about what you've heard here, and but there's always the the like. Uh, caveat that your answer will be yes it's good right there's yeah. there's a pray about it but there's one right answer right there's no <laughs> and this, this is, is okay <laughs> this is something that always gets me man it's like a yeah <laughs> like a okay so you're gonna pray about it and you're gonna know that it's true and I had, yeah. I, okay, this is something we'll talk about more in another episode, I'm sure. But I had a yeah. professor in, at BYU-Idaho, at a church school, yeah. say, uh, talk about this and talk about how, yeah. oh, you, you, as a missionary, you would invite people to pray if it's true. And, uh-huh. this, and this guy in the class will say, like, well, it is true. And so, of course, their answer is going to be that it's true. And the professor was like, you better hope that's their answer. What do you say if it's not? <laughs> and uh, the professor was like, this is a science class. We're talking about yeah. science here, okay? Yeah. And he just like laid it all out. No testimony bearing, no faith. If you want to pray at the beginning of the class, we can. But if nobody raises their hands, we're just going to get right into it. <laughs> he was so <laughs> like... <laughs> And I feel like he was honestly probably a big part of my, like, waking up to things and being like, oh, yeah, this, you know, (laughs) (laughs) this is kind of BS. And, you know, being in this class makes me feel stupid for (laughs) defending the faith, you know, like being on that that mission, defending, oh, well, the firmament is the earth to bring it back to (laughs) what we were talking about. Originally talking about. And there's, yeah, like, it's just, it's just. In it's just insane. It's just crazy, and I love to just look back and laugh <laughs> about it. Okay, so there's like in terms of speaking about like looking back and laughing. Me and my wife like horror movies a lot. There's this one horror movie from kind of the early two thousands. It's called Frailty. Okay, have you heard of it? No, no. It's got so it's got Matthew McConaughey in it, and he's this um. They're, they're, they're looking for all these murders, but for this murderer, but the thing is like the people who are getting killed, they're like bad people. And so they're trying to find this guy and what it ends up. And then it's told with flashbacks, right? Mm -hmm. So Matthew McConaughey is this guy. And what he's saying is, is yeah, my father was the murderer of all these people. And he believed he had this gift from God. And when he touched people or shook their hands, God would tell them whether or not they're righteous or wicked and he'd kill them. 
and this is my life growing up with him, right? And and I didn't believe in it, and I saw him kill people. We had to dig this this uh, this cellar in our house where he'd kill people and stuff. And one of the things that happens is is son finds out what his dad's doing. He's like shocked and scared and mortified, and his dad makes him pray in the cellar and won't let him out until God gives him a sign testifying of the truthfulness of his dad's calling. And me and my wife are watching this and we're both still active. And we've only been married for a little while. And we look at each other, look at the TV. Our church is different. <laughs> <laughs> like this is not what happened. <laughs> there's so much justification in it. Eh? It's like, it, well, it was oh. just, it was like, I was like, the first thing I think when I'm listening to this, I'm like, that's a lot like when I prayed about the book of Mormon being true. Or that's a lot like how I gained my testimony. And then we kind of look at each other and we're like, that's not how we got our testimony. Yeah. Not at all. No. Not even a little bit the same. No. This is, there is nothing the same about what I'm watching here. Yeah. I'm just going to. But I mean, that was like a, a, a writing on the wall where I was like, so the guy who joins his dad in killing people gained his testimony in a similar way to how I gained mine. Yeah. You can We're not the same though. We're not anything. the same. Like, if you lock him in a cellar and tell him to pray about anything until they know the answer that you already told them to get, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially there's all this social pressure, right? Like growing up, yeah. most of my friends were Mormon. And then, and so it's like this expectation, right? That's what you do. And then you hear people talk about, oh, when, when I went on my mission and all my friends were leaving on their missions too, right? It's this whole camaraderie. And, yeah. and then if you come back with a different answer, what you're telling your parents is like, oh, you're wrong. You've always been wrong. God, God told me something else, right? And then they're like, yeah. oh, no, he has the devil in him, right? It's the devil telling you <laughs> the wrong answer. And it's like, but... <laughs> yeah. So, like, get back in the cellar and pray until you know... Right, right. Just read right? more scriptures. Just yes. write more in your journal about how much you love Jesus. Go bear your testimony to somebody, right? Maybe go on your mission, and you'll you'll find your testimony in the bearing of it, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's which is just up. another way to say like get back in the cellar and pray. Yeah, yeah. So you got the wrong I, answer. Go back. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one answer, so it's you're gonna like, get it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, are you calling God a liar? <laughs> Basically, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. So in horror movies start rhyming with your church experience. That's a good reason you like good sign. You got things wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, right. wait a second. Uh, and uh, I would, uh, <laughs> that I, I told my friend that, yeah. that I left and, and she, she told me, she, she told me she was mad at God for not giving me the same witness that she had received. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And then she does this mental gymnastics of like, oh, well, it's just not your time yet. You know, God has his own timeline for Timing. you to receive your testimony and stuff. I'm like, I don't think that's coming. <laughs> you know, like, because she, knowing me, she couldn't have denied that I was sincere in my desire. If she was like, yeah. oh, you just weren't sincere. Then it's like, 
Well, thanks. Now you're a bad friend saying that I'm insincere in wanting to be with my family forever. Okay. Okay, cool. It's, um, on the other hand, like I'd say one thing is that when, I think one reason why Mormons react so poorly when people leave the church or lose their testimony or whatever, it goes back to what we were talking about in the other episode is this inability to deal with different opinions because mm. disagreement comes from Satan. Right. So I don't want to like, it's just when you put yourself in their perspective, right. It's like, you you feel, you have to feel for them because they've been victims of this mentality and religion that doesn't allow them to empathize with dissent and understand they're yeah. It, just to put a bit of a contrary view in there. Yeah. Is that it? She's a victim as much as we were victims. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 And it's, it's just the way that we're taught to see things. And I did the same thing, you know, with, yeah. with friends growing up. Uh, if, if somebody, you know, went astray, it mm -hmm. was like, oh, like what happened? What changed? Yeah. You know? And yeah, it's, <laughs> it sucks. You're just taught to react that way. You're taught that that's, I know. that's what you do. I know that I had said about people, they never had a testimony anyway. I know I said that one about people. Um, but that I think you say that when you're a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. Because when you're a Pharisee, and I was a Pharisee, when you're a Pharisee, nobody believes as sincerely as you do. So pretty much when anybody leaves, it's because they never believed right. enough. Yeah. I think I can say that about myself as a self professed Pharisee that, yeah, I said that about people. And I know why I said it about people is because I was high on myself for how pious I thought I was. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody and believed as legitimately as I did. So when I, people left, it was, I was oh, they never I, believed. I was the same way. Like I, I, I was super, super pious. And mm -hmm. I like, I would judge everybody for mm -hmm. everything. And but I also, I think it was like a compensation for me because I didn't mm -hmm. have that, right. that testimony. So I was like trying to prove myself to God, right? Yes. Like, yeah. I'm going to be like so, so, so good so that mm -hmm. God will give me, give me this witness that everybody else is talking about having, right? Yeah. And so I got obsessed with that. And then, and then, yeah, like it made me just such a prick. Like I would just... Yep. Every little thing I would, I would judge people on. And I just thought I was just, I was just the rock star, you know, I still judge Mormons. <laughs> you're, you're like, I still judge them. <laughs> I'm still a Pharisee. If I see Mormons drinking like chai tea or black tea, I'm just like freaking hypocrite. <laughs> not kidding or if they wear immodest clothing or any of the if they don't keep all the kind of outward virtue signaling things of mormonism i'm just like hypocrite see i'm i know what your church i know what your church teaches i know what you're supposed to do and you say it's the only true church but then you don't do these things that doesn't make any sense if it's the only true church then you should be happy to do all these things and you're not right right so right. you're just full of 
<laughs> see, I just <laughs> That's still see, my knee jerk reaction. See, I like I I look at it and like have hope. I'm like, oh, you know, okay, maybe, maybe someday they'll, or maybe they already know it's all BS, and that's why they're drinking their, they're just their tea and stuff. Fake. Yeah, I'd say just my first instinct still is to judge Mormons, even though I don't count myself with them. Because <laughs> they preach it? I still, yeah. Yeah. I ju- so I, I still have some repentance to do. Don't we all? So, okay, so back to the, the young I earth. guess what we've, Young Earth, what we've come around to. I think it's just kind of the, and I know there was somebody, I can't remember who it was, but when like Rough Stone Rolling came out, it was like the church historian or something like that, or a 70, he said, I think we've put too many things. I think it was Richard Bushman, actually, who mm-hmm. wrote Rough Stone Rolling. He said, we put too many things in the truth cart. It kind of, it becomes untenable over time, right? Right. And the firmament is one of those things where it is just, like it's sidestepped in all the manuals because the other thing with the firmament is that they talk about it being the expanse or the heavens, but the root word in Hebrew for firmament is raka, which is the verb for hammering out sheets of metal, Hmm. which reinforces the idea of it, not just being the great expanse of space. It is a literal dome and it comes from the word that talks about pounding out sheet metal which you would fashion into a dome right? to make this barrier for the water that is all. And then other things start making sense when you understand about the, the dome that's suspending all the water when they talk about opening the windows of heaven. And what they're talking about. Blessings. The, they believe that rain came from God opening little windows in the firmament for water to come down from the suspended bubble of water above the firmament, right? Right, right. It sounds like they're living in like a one of those teen teen novels, like a post-apocalyptic. They live in, yeah. in the dome. Oh yeah, you know, in the dome, and they have their religion, yeah, the, and and there's a guy up yeah. top opening up windows and letting water in for for their greenhouse. Right, but I like I don't know how literally people believed this when they were writing it down. It's almost like we believe it. I'm going to guess more literally than anybody who wrote it down ever believed it. Yeah, I'd be curious about that because I that's a hard thing with stories and then some people take it so much more literally than yeah. than others and interpret things. I mean, even what we were talking about earlier with uh, with your mom taking things more literally than than mine, right? And mm-hmm. I think that I don't know, and then with having all these things in the truth cart, I think eventually it's just going to come to a place where it's all all metaphorical. It's all a metaphor, mm-hmm. right? It's all just inspired metaphor that God has given us. But then that almost makes it useless, right? Like, yeah. Especially because they've especially the Book of Mormon, because it's been touted as yeah. the the keystone of the religion and how the most correct of any book. Yeah. The expectations set for it are very, very high. Yeah. I'd say like one thing they can always sidestep in the Bible is they say, Oh, we believe in it as long as it's translated correctly. Right. And we know yeah. that plain and precious truths were removed. And that's one sidestep they have with all the weirdness in the Bible. Um, but I'd say when they when they put so much in the truth cart and then they jump to the metaphor cart, they don't actually explore the metaphor. They just say that so that people continue to believe. Right. But 
I found more application in the metaphor of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden since leaving the church than I ever found in the church. And the metaphor is about the, the scary, horrifying implications of coming to understand something. Right, right. And especially with leaving the church is that you learn and understand what actually happened and you can't be in the Garden of Eden anymore. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're pushed out into this lone and dreary world to learn things by your own experience now. Yeah. And that was how I felt was pushed out into a lone and dreary world. And it is a lone and dreary place that you're in. But I found that story deeply meaningful mm -hmm. as a story of exiting. Yeah. Because I was, I treated it as a metaphor and it was a metaphor that spoke to what I was dealing with. Yeah. I'd be curious to go all the way back through everything that I was taught as a kid, all mm -hmm. the, all the stories and everything and just translate it all into metaphors and, right. and see, see how much there is to get out of it. And it almost, it'd be interesting to have like a novelization of the book of Mormon where it's actually interesting to read. Uh, <laughs> maybe has some better world building in it too. The, the, the book of Mormon is actually very interesting to read when you read it as a book and not as scripture, I think. Really? Yeah. Just think about the things they're saying. Right, right. Just think about what they're saying. <laughs> really? Right? I'm just going to get these two rocks and strike them together and make a fire. And now I'm building a freaking ship. <laughs> With me and my brothers, we're just building a boat. To cross the ocean. To, to cross the ocean. Yeah. Which no one has done before. And like the next person to do it, did it in a galleon. Like, yeah. So we basically built a galleon. Me and my bros <laughs> built this marvel of naval engineering all by ourselves. And then, but don't worry, like 2000 years before that, some guys were building submarines and taking like beehives and elephants in it and stuff. How long, how long was it? Was it 2000 years? Yeah, Ether Tower of Babel, like that would put it about 2000 years BC. So like 1500 years before Nephi. Well, and then this is a huge thing with the Book of Mormon is that it talks literally about the Tower of Babel, which is so obviously not, not true. Like true. It's so obvious. I had this debate with a roommate before they knew, before I was yeah. out. And yeah. uh, I, I was like, yeah, you really think the Tower of Babel... Well, I actually announced, I was like, oh yeah, the, the Tower of Babel, it's all, it's, it's just a metaphor. And then he's yeah. like, oh no, it's, it's literal. And then he was, I was like, no, no, it's, it's just metaphorical. Like you really think that the, this happened and everything. And then, and then he said, oh, well, it talks about it in Ether in the Book of Mormon and, and like as a real event. And I'm like, oh, like, oh, <laughs> like that's damning. Like Mormons actually believe the Tower of Babel was literal. Well, okay. So I'm glad you actually brought up the Tower of Babel because that ties into the firmament. Mm -hmm. Is where do you get this idea of people being able to build they, a tower that can reach the heavens? Right, right. Is it's up there. So the firmament is just a place you can, it's a dome. Yeah. If you build a building high enough, you can reach the edge of the dome. <laughs> you can open up the window and then you swim through the water above the firmament and then you get to the high heavens where god is right it it makes sense only right based on biblical cosmology which we know isn't true right right holy cow 
thing. Like, yeah, everything's making like, so much more sense. Because <laughs> like, before I was like, like, oh, a bunch of idiots building a tower to get to heaven. But if you take like what they believed about heaven, yeah, it makes sense. Only if that's there, right? Right. Like, right. So, so the Tower of Babel story needs to have a literal interpretation of Genesis if it was a literal event. Right, right. Otherwise, they weren't building a tower to get to the heavens. They were right. just building a tower. And then, like, it all, it all, lots of these Old Testament stories tie into Babylonian myth and, and the experience of the Jews in, in, during Babylonian captivity. Right. So the Babylonians built ziggurats, which were massive, like, pyramid-shaped buildings. And apparently the Tower of Babel is described as a Babylonian ziggurat. So they're, they're tying the wickedness of their oppressors, the Babylonians, into their history. And they're making up a bad guy that mirrors the bad guy they're currently right. living with, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they actually borrowed their creation story, this... So in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is like an older Old Testament written by the Babylonians, yep. you have this god Marduk or something like that. He comes down to the earth and kills the sea monsters instead of Jehovah coming and killing the sea monsters. And then he takes the carcass of the sea monster and hammers it into the sky to make the dome mm -hmm. to suspend the waters. So they, the whole story of the of the old Testament is borrowed heavily from Babylonian mythology. And it was like the Jews took it and they made their own story based on the story they were forced to learn. Right. It doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it's all feeding from each other. And then, yeah. And then you look at the book of Mormon and you can see everything going around at the time of Joseph Smith, like it all, how convenient, right? And that would almost be worth an episode on its own. I just think like the problem that people run into when they talk about Book of Mormon is that they try and point to a specific plagiarism. Right. There's no real specific plagiarism. Right. And once they go for that, it's easy enough for the apologist to point out that it is not a specific well, plagiarism. And then I think sometimes the apologist will straw man your argument as, you know, oh, well, obviously it's not a plagiarism. It's like, yeah, okay, but if I wrote a book, about uh, you know uh, some continent that has elves and and dwarves and uh, and hobbits and all these all these little things you're gonna know and, they, and like I, and they play Quidditch and there's also an Infinity Gauntlet you're gonna and you be start able borrowing to see from all the my influences right yeah, yeah exactly yeah and so it's just like <laughs> it's so obvious to me and it, it just didn't. it's obvious now right right and it's, it's obvious silly now. now like back then i i would be that apologist i would be like oh well you know they can still find stuff and oh well this and this and this but yeah now that i'm out i'm like wait a second like i actually <laughs> like i thought that for real yeah. like in real life i we really and i think that's part of the the growing and maturing that comes from leaving the church is understanding that the people who still believe these things aren't dumb mm -hmm. and they aren't insincere and they aren't like brainwashed because we were there in the thick of it just. And when you're in it, we understand how these things can happen and how a otherwise rational person can believe in these crazy things. Right. Right. So I think as you grow and mature out of the anger phase, 
there's got to you got to start building some room for empathy for the people who are still in mm-hmm. and, and recognize and take ownership that you were in it and you believe just as sincerely as they did. Yeah. The church didn't force you. Like there weren't some environmental factors that influenced why you did what you did. Sure. But at the end of the day, you were the guy who turned the blind eye to these weird things that made no sense. Yeah. And you've got to own that. Yeah. And I think with the ownership comes empathy for people who are still there. Right. Yeah. Cause it sucks for everybody. Yeah. Well, uh, do you think we've gone over that one well enough? I think, yeah, I think it's covered. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Also, yeah, we had a bit of a diversion in the middle there, but um, yeah, I think we brought all, it all back in the end. All for good fun. Perfect. Yeah. Well. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, that concludes that episode. Cool.